Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. Welcome to our Catechism class. We're looking today at Lord's Day 17 and question 45, and we're going to be talking about the importance of the factual, literal, bodily resurrection of Jesus. We've spent a long time dwelling on our instructor's teaching on the suffering and death of Christ. If you haven't listened to those podcasts, podcasts dealing with the cross, it would probably be a good idea to go back to your podcast platform or go on to anchor.fm forward slash Bob hyphen McAvoy and look for the episodes on Lord's Day 15 and 16 and listen to the lessons on the suffering and death of Christ before you begin to study Lord's Day 17. Now we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 17, question 45, and there our instructor is teaching the doctrines behind that clause in the Apostles' Creed, which states, on the third day he rose again from the dead. And so he asks us in question 45, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? And the answer we must give is first by his resurrection he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he hath obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power we too are raised up to new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Now, when you take all of that into account, you can see that's extremely important. But the catechist goes straight to the benefits of the resurrection. He simply assumes in the catechism that all of us as believers will be already in no doubt whatsoever about the authenticity of the biblical resurrection account. When Zacharias Ursinus, the main author of the catechism, comments on this Lord's Day, he begins by asserting that the efficacy of Christ's work on the cross endures forever, a fact that stems from his bodily resurrection. And he notes that there are two essential elements to our understanding of the resurrection. First of all, it's historical factuality, and secondly, it's benefits for the Christian believer. Like him, we must cover the historical proofs of the resurrection before we can truly appreciate the benefits of it. So Ursinus starts his commentary with laying out the proofs of the resurrection, asking candidly, did Christ rise from the dead? And then, how did Christ rise? Before he goes on to the purpose of his resurrection. And only then, he finally gets to its blessings and benefits. For the sake of clarity, and because of the importance of this doctrine, I intend to follow his example. We shall start by asking, why is belief in the literal, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus such a vital doctrine? Okay, so let's get started. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is 
the Semper Reformata podcast. going to begin with a reading. It's a reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13 to verse 20. Let us hear God's word. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. We're asking the question, why is belief in a historical, factual, bodily resurrection of Christ such an indispensable part of our Christian faith and life? In that passage from 1 Corinthians, Paul gets right to the very core of the issue. He says that you can't be a Christian without a firm and convinced belief that we have a risen Saviour who lives eternally and who is seated in heavenly places. Paul begins his corrective teaching for the Corinthians who misunderstood the nature of resurrection by establishing the factual reality of the actual and bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Corinthians, or perhaps some of them, had denied the bodily resurrection of the dead at the last day, and in doing so, perhaps unwittingly, they had in effect denied the literal resurrection of Jesus which they professed to believe. To do so, as we see in this passage, leads us into terrible error. Let's look at the results of this foolish acceptance of false belief. So firstly, when we dispute the resurrection of Christ, the preached foundation of the Christian faith is greatly undermined. In fact, I would say totally undermined. In that passage in 1 Corinthians, verse 14, Paul says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. What's the point of preaching the gospel if the very message that we preach, Christ crucified for our salvation and risen for our justification and coming soon to receive his church is all based on a false narrative, on a lie actually, on a lie upon which a huge raft of doctrine is based. In the early 1980s, a man called David Jenkins, the Bishop of Durham, denied the literal and physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't stop there. As far as Jenkins was concerned, the very foundations of doctrine had crumbled. He began to make more and more liberal and anti-biblical statements. In 1984, in an article in the Church Times, 
Jenkins said, I wouldn't put it past God to arrange a virgin birth if he wanted, but I very much doubt if he would. In an article published in the Daily Telegraph on the 14th of December 1993, journalist Damien Thompson reported the following views of the so-called bishop. I quote, The Bishop of Durham, Dr. David Jenkins, has ignited a new row in the Church of England by claiming that there is no such thing as eternal damnation or the second coming of Christ. It emerged yesterday that Dr. Jenkins, speaking at a recent conference for Anglican lay readers, went further than ever before in challenging Orthodox Christian doctrines. I am clear, he said, that there can be no hell for eternity. Our God would not be so cruel. However, I think for some people who have wasted every opportunity for redemption, there may be extinction. I do not think it possible to believe any longer in a literal second coming or the end of the world. The Times of London on its website published an interview and an excerpt from The Calling of a Cuckoo. The interview wrote, in his exceedingly frank memoirs, Dr Jenkins writes repeatedly that being a Church of England bishop brought him nearer to atheism than anything in his life. I think it would be fair to say that Bishop Jenkins was no gospel preacher. Jenkins' downward spiral in unbelief all began when he began to doubt the bodily resurrection of Jesus. If one cannot accept the historical fact of the literal resurrection of Christ and as a consequence of that the hope of the resurrection of the body, then our entire system of Christian doctrine begins to break down and the saving message is totally destroyed. Let's look at some examples. We preach, for example, the doctrine of new life in Christ. We tell people to repent and to turn to Christ. But to whom can they turn if the resurrection is untrue? We have destroyed a foundation of the gospel. Paul wrote in Romans 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You cannot be saved without believing that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Sinners do not need to be simply giving, given a set of dogmas or presented with philosophical reasoning. They need to meet a living, risen Saviour, one who will take them as sinners and forgive their sins and regenerate them and indwell them and bring them into the family of God. And that requires, Paul says, a heartfelt belief that God has raised up his own Son from the dead. The Apostle Peter confirms this in 1 Peter 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The doctrine of new life in Christ is totally destroyed if we don't except the historical fact of the resurrection. The doctrine of Christ's intercessory work also. That's based upon texts like Hebrews 7 and verse 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 
so we need a living, risen Saviour to sustain us and to keep us on the Christian pathway throughout life. A dead Christ cannot intercede for us at the throne of God's grace any more than can the Virgin Mary, who died all those years ago. And without that intercessory work, we would quickly fall into sin and be lost. What about the doctrine of his second coming? If Christ did not rise from the dead, how can he return? Remember the promise that he made to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight, and while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as you have seen him go into heaven. I think all this world around us right now needs to hear that Christ is coming soon, that he's returning in glory. The world needs to know that time is running out, and that the material world that we depend on will not last forever. We need to live in the light of eternity. That's the message we preach. But that message is completely dependent upon the factual resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And we preach the deity and the sinless nature of Christ. His resurrection is the proof that he is who he said he was. God has stamped his approval upon the person and work and sinless character and the deity of Jesus by raising him from the dead. Jonathan Edwards wrote, For if Christ were not risen, it would be evidence that God was not satisfied or not yet satisfied for our sins. Now the resurrection is God declaring his satisfaction. He thereby declared that it was enough. Christ was thereby released from his work. Christ, as he was mediator, is thereby justified. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Romans 1 and verse 4. Now all of these are vital beliefs, and this is not a conclusive list. Vital beliefs which must be clearly and consistently presented in our pulpits and believed on in our hearts. And all of those depend on the fact of the resurrection. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, then our preaching is totally wasted. It is vain. It amounts to nothing. A preacher who has not got a passionate belief in the literal resurrection of the dead might as well resign from his ministry and go and brush the roads or empty the bins where at least he'd be doing some practical good for the human race. R.C. Sproul wrote this, A Christian is not a sceptic. A Christian is a person with a burning heart a heart set aflame with the certainty of resurrection. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if it so be that the dead rise not. But not only is our preached foundation destroyed, the personal foundation of our religion is undermined. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 17, Paul says, If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are still in your sins. The Amplified Bible puts it like this, Your faith is devoid of truth and it is fruitless. It is without a fact. It is empty. It's just imaginary and unfounded. If you're not convinced in your own heart and mind that you serve a risen Saviour, your Christianity is more imagination than fact. You have no right whatsoever to call yourself a believer in Christ, for you have not been converted. Your life is still empty. You still have no real foundation in your life if Jesus is a dead man who can never remove sins. 1 Corinthians 15 and 16 For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. If our Saviour didn't rise from the dead, then our Lord Jesus Christ is no different than Muhammad or Buddha or Gandhi or many other great leaders of men, no doubt great teachers, great influencers of society, great personalities, but only sinful men like one of us. And now they are dead and gone, and they can never save, for they are dead. The difference between these men and Jesus is that Jesus is alive. I think it might be pertinent to note at this time that we live in Corinthian days as far as the church is concerned. Is it not true today that the thrust of modern liberal churchmanship is to make the gospel syncretistic by saying that Jesus was the leader of a world faith, a great world faith, just the same as the other great faith leaders, that he is just one of the many ways to God that are open to us? that a Muslim's faith is just as valid a way to heaven as a Christian's faith. And so it may actually be an offence to publicly declare that Jesus is the only way. But yet that's exactly what he said. And his words are vindicated in his resurrection. Let's worship God in the words of Psalm 16.
So if we try to exclude the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus from our belief system, from our faith, then it becomes pointless to preach the gospel and the Christian life is a farce, a sham. But there's a third destructive element which occurs as a result of disbelief in Christ's resurrection. For the Christian's hope is shattered. Not only are there present sad consequences for the Christian faith attached to the belief that dead men don't rise, but there are also future repercussions. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, then those who have died are lost forever. Look back at our text and see the sad condition then of dead believers. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If the belief of the Corinthians regarding the resurrection is true, then all of our loved ones who have been led to rest in cemeteries up and down this land and across the world and throughout the centuries have all perished. They are no more than decayed flesh and bones. They have ceased to be. What an utterly terrible consequence. And our hope is futile. I once heard a preacher say that even if there was no promise of eternal life for the believer, he would still want to follow and serve Christ because of the peace of God and the calmness of mind and the moral and ethical basis of the Christian path. All of that would still be worthwhile. Well, perhaps so, but it's not the point. Our salvation is not just for this life. Our salvation extends into eternity. Christ's saving work for the believer is in the past when we are regenerated. It is in the present as he keeps us day by day, hour by hour and second by second. It is for the future when we shall be freed from the presence of sin forever in the new Jerusalem. Hebrews 9 and 28. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. In heaven, when this life is ended, our salvation will be complete. And this prompts Paul to explain in 1 Corinthians 15 and 19 that if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We will experience great disappointment. There will be no heavenly reward as a recompense for this world's sufferings. There will be no righting of this world's wrongs. There will be no vindication of the stand of the faithful Christian. There will be no mansion in glory. There will be no realisation of the treasure that Christ has laid up for the believer in heaven. One of the attributes of the true believer is that that person will deny him or herself, will take up their cross and will sacrificially follow Jesus. If he is not risen, then that sacrificial believer has wasted his life and his time and his effort and his money. If in this life only, says Paul, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. When the ungodly man or woman is confronted by death, they have no hope. 
who wanted the Christian. What a great hope they have. What a wonderful outlook on eternity. We know that and have the assurance that one day we shall meet our loved ones again. One day they shall rise again and we will be gathered together with the Lord and fellowship will be restored. And all that hope lies in the fact that we have a risen Jesus. That's enough for this class. But we're going to stay with this important subject. Today we've just established the importance of belief in a literal physical resurrection. In our next lesson, we'll look at the classic proofs of the resurrection, proofs that are so strong that they would convince a court of law. And then we can move on and see how that resurrection occurred and why. And then hopefully we'd be better equipped to appreciate the benefits of Christ's resurrection for the believer. (laughs) 